So tokenism was definitely a large challenge. Our approach to this issue was that we made sure that in all the work that we do, the most important coherence lens we use is the impact on the feathers behind. So meaning that no policy should be decided by any representative in Fiji on a national level, on a regional level, or even an international level, without the full and direct participation of members of the group affected by that policy. So what we do is we ensure that the most vulnerable and young people are not only consulted, but they are part of the development, implementation, and the monitoring process. So we build and strengthen capacities of youth to lead their own activities and participate as equitable partners with adults. We have managed to create visibility and respect for youth voices by bringing them to the forefront together with that of women, LGBTQI community, and also those with disabilities and rural youth. Hello everyone, my name is Dean Long and welcome to the podcast Lifeline. In this podcast, I will interview people who are having a positive impact in their community and have a strong message that deserves to be shared. We will dive deeper into their journey becoming a change maker and hopefully you can take away some insights for your own journey. And please do subscribe to Lifeline on YouTube, Apple Podcasts or any platform that you are using. And also you can share this episode with your friends if you like it. It's really what helps me the most. In today's episode, you will be meeting Ride, who is known as the plastic guy in Fiji, for all the impact that he's having with Precious Plastic Fiji, the social enterprise that he co-founded. He's also a youth advocate with the Alliance for Future Generations, a climate activist with 350.org Fiji, and was a proud Fiji youth representative for the COP24 in Poland. We discuss how he got into all these national, regional and even international networks and how he's leveraging on them to engage the youth in Fiji and to make a difference. Raid shares why his life is all about environmental protection and social justice and all the things that made him connect to his own power of action. Bolavinaka. Okay, Bolavinaka. Raid, I'm so happy to speak to you on Lifeline, to have you on Lifeline today for the story. So I always remind a bit how I, I know the people. So for the story, we're sitting next to each other <laughs> in the UN escape building in Bangkok for the, uh, what was it? The Asia Pacific Climate Week for the panel of Peace Boat. And we were speaking about I think youth engagement and the SDGs and yeah we were sitting next to each other yes uh, yes you were the coolest guy in the room <laughs> uh, yeah I hope so <laughs> you were the coolest guy um, and yeah no then then we met again in Guangzhou so you went for this uh, this school conference about youth and SDG again and yeah I've been following everything that you have done um that you are doing in Fiji and Pacific Islands. So, yeah, I mean, we'll come back to this, but uh, everything about climate, plastic waste, and your TED Talk, your podcast. I've stalked you a lot this week, <laughs> everything I could find. Um, so, yeah, no, no, uh, super happy uh, to have you. And, yeah, I just ask, I mean, start, like, if you want to introduce yourself, anything that comes to your mind. Okay, Bulavinaka uh, to all the listeners. My name is Raid Roshanali, and I'm tuning in from the beautiful island of Fiji. 
Uh, I'm an environmental and youth activist, uh, currently the national coordinator for Precious Plastic PG, volunteer at uh, WWF Pacific. Uh, I'm a committee member at 350 Fiji as well, and a founding member of the Alliance for Future Generations Fiji. This is Fiji's biggest uh, youth-led climate change and sustainable development movement. I work to mobilize, engage, empower, and inspire young people in becoming leaders of positive change. Cool. Thank you, uh, Raid. I think that's a super powerful way to introduce yourself. Uh, but before we come back to all this serious stuff, I wanted to ask you um, <laughs> a random question I just thought about. Um, how is there a way to recognize Fijian people? Like, like uh, if you walk around in the street, can you? Is there a way to 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 recognize people from Fiji? Because I think women they have this flower right in the in the head. Uh, when you say Fijian people, because it's a common identity, it's a nationality. So even Fijians of Indian descent would be called Fijians here. But if you're referring to the indigenous uh, people who are uh, called the Itauke, um, then I suppose, uh, uh, yeah, I mean, a flower Uh, signifies their relationship status, or at least this is what I've been told. So if a female puts a flower on the right-hand side, that means she's single. <laughs> And if it's on the left-hand side, that means she's married. But yeah, I mean, if you want to recognize a Fijian, uh, we, the easiest way is to just uh, see the Bula smile. Okay, so Fijian, they, they have a big smile. Big yeah. smile. Okay, also, I think one we have one common point, which is Our names mean something like really awesome. Oh, wow. <laughs> my name means Temple of the Dragon. Wow. Oh, my goodness. That makes so much sense. <laughs> <laughs> and and uh, you, even, you, it's even better, right? Uh, it was leader. Yeah, enlightening leader. Okay, so now we have Temple of the Dragon and enlightening leader. So that's great. <laughs> cool, cool. Yeah, no, I, uh, so I, I wanted, so I think it, it's, I'm really impressed, you know, with all the things that you've been doing with 350, uh, with Alliance for Future Generation, with um, Precious Plastic and WWF. I'm, I was always wondering how, how do you, man uh, like, how is your time divided between these four, four, four things? That's a good question. So when you're part of so many organizations, uh, time management becomes fundamental. Uh, so because Precious Plastic Fiji is my own social enterprise, that's where my focus lies. And because I was one of the founding members for Alliance, Alliance of Future Generations, I sort of uh, divide my work within between Precious Plastic and Alliance of Future Generations. But the good thing is that because I'm part of both of the organizations, I uh, usually work in partnership with the AA, with AFG or somehow like leverage of of leverage of of my different of the different networks that I'm part of. Uh, with regards to volunteerism with WWF Pacific, uh, I'm not as much engaged at the moment, but I do support the organizing committee uh, when they need support. So we were supposed to have this interview two days ago, but you had to actually you you went to do some emergency action, right? I spent uh, two days in Bar. Uh, that's one of the town, rural towns in Fiji. 
Um, and we were called because uh, a family was in desperate need for food supplies and another family was in desperate need for diapers, adult diapers. And, uh, you know, like all of these like basic uh, support items. So I spent two days in bar and I just I came back home last night. And uh, it was it was really I don't even know how to put this into words, but uh, I came back home last night, had a warm shower and got in my bed and uh, I was looking up at the ceiling and I just started crying. And it's weird because uh, I don't usually talk about these things, but because it's still so fresh, uh, I just I just can't help myself. You know, uh, I started crying out of guilt at how, how ungrateful I have been despite the luxuries that I'm drowning in, at uh, how easy my life actually is compared to so many in my own country whose experience I have become so disconnected from. And I was like, you know, I was just thinking about this, that uh, I'm fortunate enough to even have a blanket for cold nights and a fan for hot ones. Uh, and I was crying because I was privileged to even have a space to call my own room within this house. Uh, because I decided to accompany my mom to bar to assist in this uh, social work. Uh, and my mom always goes out of her way and comfort zone to identify families who are extremely rural and re- in remote areas who are often neglected during relief and charity efforts carried out by the big organizations. Mm. Um, so needless to say, it was a deeply, deeply humbling experience. For example, I met a woman, uh, a mother of three, who just came back home from cutting and loading sugarcane in a truck and uh, only to find her taking care of her mom who was completely bedridden. And I met another couple who were involved in a car accident a few years back from which they mirac- mirac- miraculously survived despite being 70% burned. And this led to them becoming permanently deformed and disabled, but they kept smiling and remained, remained grateful. That image is like still stuck to my head. And I also met a single mom with five children who lived in a shack and their daughter skipped school on the day that we visited because she was cleaning tamarind to sell at the market just so that they could survive. These are, these are only a few stories among so many. And I'm lost for words as I'm still processing my experience, but uh, I know that I don't want to live a life that disconnects me from those in real need, uh, that disconnects me from my own privilege. And uh, I've sort of realized that this is what gives my life meaning. <laughs> Did you meet these communities before? Was it the first time? No, no, it's the first time because it was really remote. Really remote. Did you and your mom go there for because there was a specific, I don't know, natural disaster? Or are these communities who always live in this situation? I think uh, these communities uh, live in this situation, but the situation has been exacerbated because of uh, COVID-19. A lot of people have lost their jobs and uh, food security has become a big issue here in Fiji, uh, even uh, financial security. So things have really started uh, impacting them on a, uh, on a, on a, on a much uh, detrimental level. Mm. I see. And... Um Okay, so you're still processing the information. Did you? Is it a feeling that? I guess it's the first time you have this kind of feeling, or this? Would you say it's some sort of aha moment? Yeah, yeah, humbling, humbling moment. It's not the first time, but it's just that uh, because I'm staying in an in an urban area, 
and then I work with all these big organizations and we do a lot of work, groundwork in communities as well. But, uh, you know, like when you, when you, when you, when we engage within urban areas and urban cycles and the peri urban areas, we sort of, uh, start forgetting and get disconnected from people who are like in extremely rural places and rural areas and they are lived reality. So this was for me, I think, uh, a bit of a wake-up call. I do work with rural communities, but uh, this was the first time to go uh, this rural. Okay. Do you think there is even more rural than what you have seen yesterday? Oh, yeah. Uh, definitely. The, the road kept going. So we will make more trips uh, in future and uh, assist more families with, the, with the, their needs. Did you grow up in the urban area? Yeah. So I ask that because one key moment of your life is this uh, KFC chicken story when you were 10 years old. But it was also from your mom, right? And now you just shared it, something that also happened with your mom. So I feel like she was a really important part of you growing up. She still is. <laughs> she still is a very important part. Um, so KFC, the reason why that story had an impact on me was because my mom said something. She said that if you don't, after she caught me littering, she asked me to collect my trash. And then she told me to, that if I don't respect the land, the land will never respect me. And that's something that I was too young to even understand like at that age, what it meant. But as I, as I grew up uh, slowly, like that, that statement kept sinking in and I kept, Uh, understanding the deeper, profound meaning to it. Because in Fiji, we call the land as Vanua. And Vanua is, doesn't just uh, apply to land. Vanua is an all-encompassing term, which means land, its people, and its culture. And that's why I couldn't understand, like, how will a, like, land respect me? You know, like, it's a non, like, you know, like, it's, it's not a human being, like, What does land have to do with respect, you know? But uh, as I grew up, so that's something that uh, sort of solidified the respect that I have towards the land. And when I say, and the vanua, and the vanua inco in, in, incorporates uh, the people and the culture. And that sort of ties in with karma. You know, like what you do is what you get back. After this sentence that marked you, Would you be able to identify, you know, around what age you were able to make sense of this sentence and why? Probably, probably around, uh, so it's a gradual process. I don't think it was just like one point where like suddenly like, you know, like, aha, it makes sense now. Like, you know, like gradually, like through experiences that I kept having in life, uh, just, uh, The meaning kept unfolding. And, you know, like even now, I would say to this day, uh, I would say that uh, I'm still learning, you know, like uh, the wisdom behind uh, a statement as powerful as that. Mm. You studied environmental sciences, right? Yes. Did you always know that you wanted to study that? Oh, no, no. <laughs> okay, so... Um, I, uh, this, the, me, my mom saying that, uh, led me to choose, uh, for me to study environmental science as my undergraduate degree. 
And uh, as a result of that, I started to actively volunteer in a lot of environmental organizations. That's when I first joined WWF uh, and participated in cleanup campaigns. And uh, uh, also, also started, uh, that's, I think that's when we started it, or in 2018, uh, to set up uh, the Alliance for Future, Future Generations as well. And uh, because, uh, I mean, a lot of people come for the cleanup campaigns and nobody can doubt their efforts, the efforts that they put in towards this regular activity. I always felt that such volunteer cleanups were not the best way to tackle plastic pollution, especially because it was it was still choking our rivers and uh, our mangrove ecosystems, destroying beautiful beaches that we have here and also impacting marine life. We, as part of Alliance of Future Generations, we would carry out uh, man- man- uh, monthly mangrove planting as well. And when we go back to monitor on the growth of our mangroves, we would see a lot of them dead because of fishing line fishing lines that were stuck to it. And these fishing lines are not necessarily the ones that uh, are polluted by uh, the people living here, but they are brought in through the tide uh, from the Great Pacific Garbage Patch. And so that's how pollution keeps coming to our shores, even though we keep uh, we keep cleaning up uh, uh, the waste from our shorelines. Mm. And so this 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 practice of uh, addressing the symptom and not the cause uh, kept bothering me because uh, the type the tide kept coming in and depositing more plastic cups, bottles, straws, bags, and fishing equipment. And what we essentially did was pick up plastic pollution from one area and then send to another area, which was a landfill, where it takes over a thousand years for plastic to degrade. And uh, this is what led me, like, made me convinced that uh, simple cleanup campaigns were not the answer. They were only a temporary solution. Um, as a result of this, I read on many articles and uh, uh, it made me convinced that there made me convinced that there was no point in mopping the floor until we turn off the tap, and uh, that's what led me to start a precious plastic Fiji. So, well, yeah, I really want to come back on that. Uh, but before, so the uh, so you started uni at eighteen, I guess around eighteen. Uh, your volunteerism with WWF it was at during the same period. Yes. Okay, so it's WWF. It's like your the first. I mean, the your your first action towards uh, climate and environment in in the timeline. Not really, because uh, so I'll, I'll I'll tell you about a bit about my childhood. Uh, I grew up uh, in Nandi, which is the western part of Viti Levu, um, and because Fiji uh, is a country that is continually subject to devastating and devastating cyclones and floods. I was, I we all like growing up. I had direct exposure to various forms of adverse environmental impacts within my island nation of Fiji, and this was sort of uh, my key impetus to becoming a youth volunteer from a very young age. My mom was the president for Serpentis International, and uh, she would go out and carry uh, carry out projects in the communities, and I would always go with her as a young person uh, uh, to assist her uh, with these uh, sort of campaigns. And uh, so when I first started uh, volunteering with my mom, uh, I think I was like around the same, like close to like 12, 13 years old. Uh, so we had a we had a massive flood in Fiji, and 
I wanted to go out and help the communities that were affected by this uh, flooding. And I felt helpless because we didn't have the necessary, necessary funds to carry out our work, especially relief efforts. And even approaching, after approaching many avenues, our request would be reject, rejected. Um, despite the setbacks, I was able to effectively mobilize uh, overseas family support by way of donations for food bags uh, to be given to affected uh, victims. Um, so my mom's group uh, and I, we worked with communities to provide warm clothes and beddings to those affected. Uh, we also visited low-lying village, villages, example, Namotomoto village in Nandi, and uh, advised them on the need for disaster preparedness. Um, so supporting recovery efforts in my community uh, was a learning experience for me on uh, how relationship and networking with organizations can enable for more effective forms of support to vulnerable communities. And uh, it also taught me that money is not always a necessity in bringing about change, uh, that it's willpower and effort. So I would say that this was the beginning. Because it's crazy that you said 12, 13. Is it a normal thing for, for Fiji youth to do that? I mean, at that age, I don't think so. But because of how... How, how, how severe our cyclones and our natural disasters are becoming now. And with the issue of sea level rise, I think it's become a more commonplace amongst the youth of today to be actively participating uh, in uh, this sort of disaster resilience work and, uh, and relief efforts. Mm. Okay, so yes, that's how you started. Um, no, I mean, I, it's... I mean, for, really, I think it's impressive to to do that at such a young age. At your at that age, I was just playing Warcraft. <laughs> so, uh, oh my god! Uh, okay, so okay, no, I, I I start to understand a bit, like the you know the progression from the this you know impactful sentence at ten years old, and you started to lead some you know community movement uh, after the floods. Uh, raising money from overseas family, uh, awesome. Um, okay, so uh, then okay, you 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 went to uni, uh, studied environmental sciences, uh, started to volunteer for WWF. And wh while you were doing the beach cleanups, um, were you uh, like you you said you had a feeling? Okay, we are just uh, doing an action on the symptoms, but not on the root cause. Were you the only one to think that way? I mean, that like even if people like my even if if I shared this with my friends, they would agree, but they didn't uh, think that they had it. They had the capacity to do something more uh, as young people. You know, like they felt so un unempowered to do something more. But then, I I. I couldn't engage any further with doing something uh, because I told you that I went online, I was reading up on solutions and like how we can address this problem. And then uh, that's when I introduced this idea to my friends and uh, some of them came on board. Uh, some of them thought we couldn't do it. Uh, and it was uh, too far-fetched of, of an idea. But I said, you know, like I kept thinking like if I don't at least make an effort, uh, then what's the point? How did you get to have this mindset? That's a good question. A solution-driven mindset. 
Yeah, like, uh, yeah. I don't know. Oh, it's because uh, <laughs> it's because uh, of my religion, and I shared this as my on my earlier podcast as well. Uh, because I grew up in a religious household, and uh, uh, in the words of our Prophet uh, Muhammad peace be upon him, he said that the the cure to ignorance is to question. And that's set in my mind, that statement by our prophet. And I had that, like, that's that lens. Growing up, I had that lens towards everything. So I would always question, you know, like, if something happened in a certain way, I would question why, why, why. And this is why I think one of the reasons also why I studied science, because science is a uh, quest for... Uh, knowledge in like in natural sciences you want to figure out the why and how and what um so that that that's that's uh that's i think that's something that formed my uh solution driven mindset because i kept questioning why and then uh from that why i would figure out how to uh come to come to terms with it or to make it better or to uh you know further progress anything and this was this was a bit problematic at home as well because I'm just gonna be honest because you know sometimes our parents would tell you like uh, don't do this don't do that and I would I question then why and then they would explain, try to explain to me but then I would like you know start associating but you did this there you did this there <laughs> and that would become problematic for my parents but yeah like rebellious kid yeah you know, yeah rebellious but I mean if I had a child who would question me uh, I would uh, encourage that I don't know I'm just saying that now. Let's see when I have a kid, how things are. <laughs> you, you'll come back when you have a kid. In, yeah. <laughs> uh, in, in 10 years. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe, no, I guess probably before. <laughs> yeah, probably. Okay, so actually, so it's when you, you did all this research on internet that you found the idea of precious plastic. Um, no, I found out the idea that uh, young people can be advocates uh, for change, powerful Uh, they can be creators of powerful uh, ideas that tackle uh, all sorts of issues throughout the world, and plastic pollution was one of them. Um, the idea for precious plastic was, uh, uh, in, in, in particular, was introduced uh, to me by my friend, uh, an international student from Australia. She came to Fiji and she introduced this idea to us when we were studying at the University of the South Pacific. And... Uh, So my friends and I said, you know, like we were, we were looking for a solution and we just, you know, like everything just fit in. Like, like yeah, why not? It wasn't initially linked to the idea of uh, plastic waste in the oceans, but because that was something at the back of my mind and I was looking for a solution for that, I, you know, like everything just fell into place. I thought like what better way to align these two, uh, these two uh, ideas than, than, than precious plastic. So What precious plastic essentially does is that, uh, so what we do now with precious plastic is that we collect plastic waste that that ends up in the environment and in the ocean and use that to upcycle it and create a new product that is then put back into the economy, uh, contributing to its secular economy. What kind of products? Oh, so products are part of our projects. So we have partnered with organizations because it's a non-profit organization. 
precious we introduced we localized the movement in fiji and made it into a social enterprise and the reason for this was so that it we can sustain our operations uh by making it a social enterprise and uh, we carry out projects uh, involving partnerships with uh, various organizations uh one organization is fiji surfers association so with them we organize cleanup campaigns in the coral coast of uh, fiji fiji and uh we collect the plastic bottles sort it out clean it up and shred it and upcycle it to make uh, plastic fins uh that they then buy from us to use with their surfboards and uh we also are in the process of research and development of creation for items for humanitarian applications and we are doing this in partnership with field ready which is a us based ngo in pg and this include creation of things for people with disabilities for example braille keyboards uh straw holders with metal straws and wheelchair fittings and all of these are made from upcycled plastic waste okay so you don't have like standard products but you would like partner with an organization and define with them what kind of products they need we do have standard products uh that we uh sell on a on a larger scale uh it, this is because uh we develop uh, metal molds for specific products and then uh it makes uh the creation of uh multiple products easier for example one of our standard products is a plastic coaster which takes about 10 plastic bottles to make and then we supply uh we are based in the west and the western area of, uh, of uh, fiji is where most of the hotels and uh, resorts are located and they are one of the biggest uh, contributors to to plastic uh, one of the biggest producers of plastic uh, waste in the country so as part of their csr uh, what we do now is we get collect the plastic waste off of them um use that plastic waste to create uh, uh plastic coasters and uh you know other other products that they require and then sell it back to them at a retail price okay to use at their resorts and hotels and So because you need a so I'm wondering like so uh, this this Australian student came she she introduced the idea of precious plastic and I just was just perfect for you at that time and then how do you start because I guess you need what what is the first thing you did after having this idea <laughs> Okay so that that idea I mean even though it was still introduced uh it was still a bit far fetched for us uh but we were really committed to providing awareness of the impact of plastic pollution in fiji and uh, providing a practical and sustainable alternative to address plastic waste uh for fijian communities um so we had a we had a, we had a like young team at that point in time and the concept of providing a hub or an outlet to address plastic waste was really far fetched because uh, i mean obviously the resources required to begin such operations is not forthcoming especially like if you're a, in a developing country like fiji um so uh doubts also set in uh, on the level of impact that we would make uh, in our capacity as young people and uh we we i don't know like because because the issue of plastic pollution is so big in fiji we couldn't ignore it 
and uh, this this like the continuous uh, image of us seeing waste being dumped at the ocean beside the roadside and all this uh, in like you know like in the villages even in urban areas it just uh, helped clear our doubts and uh, replace it with a sense of responsibility uh, we had to see opportunity and not a problem and uh, we knew we knew that. Uh, uh blaming people on who was responsible and writing to and waiting for the government to take action was our creative energy being wasted so we took this in, we took the initiative and uh, our efforts then were transpo- transformed into the establishment uh, of precious plastic fiji and this gave our vision a sure sense of uh, identity and direction i would say precious plastic is a you said it's a global movement Do you also get support from other precious plastic hubs? Yes, yes. Uh, we are connected. All the precious plastic uh, uh, hubs throughout the world are connected uh, via their online. Uh, what do you call uh, online uh, page? So we can collaborate. We can ask for helps. There are precious plastic. Uh, Groups, uh, I mean, precious plastic groups in different parts of the world, which are uh, more w- like well established than us, uh, who are already developing a lot of like new and innovative type of products uh, via the molds that they have. So, and we have we have uh, we have created a precious plastic uh, market as well online. So, in the market space, uh, all the precious plastic organizations, if they have created a metal mold which is perfect for a particular item, they sell it at the marketplace, and then different different precious plastic. Uh, Mm-hmm. from around the world are able to buy those metal molds which will make our work easier instead of us creating it uh, locally right. and then using that to make new products using the plastic okay so, so we we have a we have a really big uh, collaborative uh, space online everyone could open a, i mean could start a precious plastic hub right yes anywhere you can uh, Any city of the world, anywhere on the globe, you can start Precious Plastic. Uh, it's an open source uh, platform. Uh, so you can even build the machines that are needed to upcycle plastic wherever you are located, just as long as you find the necessary equipment to build those machines. In Fiji, oh. we could we could uh, build uh, one machine, but the problem with the other machine, Ashreda, was uh, that we required uh, metal teeth. Uh, that is sharp metal that is used for grinding, and then we had to order that online because uh, we couldn't source that locally. Okay, so okay, so there are like open source. Uh, pl- yeah, I don't know how to say that in English, but open source plants, and you can make your own machines. But they also sell machines that either hub managed to create. Uh, but then you guys decided to turn it into a social enterprise locally. Yes, to sub, uh, to make it uh, to sustain our work <laughs> because it's a non-profit. So we had to sustain our work uh, one way the one way or the other, and this worked out uh, perfectly. How old were you when it started? I was twenty four, five, six, twenty four. Twenty four years old when it started. Okay, okay, okay. And is precious plastic because you had this frustration with WWF? Is it gone with the work of that you are doing with precious plastic? Yes, yes. Uh, so one of the great things that we are able to do by setting up a hub in Fiji is provide a platform for all the organizations that carry out cleanup campaigns to 
then sort out the, sort out the plastic waste and then supply it to us where we upcycle plastic waste. So this works out really well um, in terms of uh, sustainability of the work. Okay. And also, uh, before we actually, uh, before we started with precious plastic, uh, when we're thinking of like the solutions, um, what we did with WF was we collected large amounts of rubbish uh, from cleanup campaigns and then used this to create uh, unique forms of artwork, which were then displayed in public arenas uh, during occasions such as the Fiji Eight Hour celebrations. The reason for this is because uh, we believed that art is one of the most creative and visible forms of communication um, that can highlight uh, current global concerns, such as the climate crisis, uh, in a unique way. And uh, a visual message, uh, I mean, uh, makes it more appealing. And uh, we also believe that this in turn has a stronger co cognitive impact in changing mindsets, mindsets as compared to complex data or information which may often get ignored. Um, and the, the reason why this, this worked really well was, uh, because, and, and we were able to gain momentum as a result is because, uh, uh, art is, uh, incorporated into the, in, in, into the cultural system in the Pacific. Um, that's why it's, it, it's, it's an, it's a very effective, uh, form of activism here. How was it received by the Fijian public? It was it was very well received. Uh, I'll just give you an example, and this is why I believe that young people in Fiji and throughout the world can be instrumental in policy change. So, in early two thousand, uh, what was it? I think sixteen. Uh, uh, Major Ben, the plastic campaign was led by young people, uh, and I was part of this as well. And this led again the support from CSOs throughout the country. Uh, it called on the complete phase-out of single-use plastics in Fiji. And the campaign then saw the government in its 2017 national budget announce steps to completely phase-out single-use plastics uh, by 2020. The government also implemented a 10 cents levy on each single-use plastic that had increased, from, increased to 20 cents in the 2018 budget announcement. And the reason for this was to discourage consumers from using single-use plastic and increase the awareness for recyclable bags. So early this year, Fiji completely phased out the use of single-use plastics uh, with less than 50 microns in thickness. So this was an initiative and effort led by young people in Fiji. So it's funny because you were telling earlier that you didn't want to focus solely on policy change because it's like use of energy and stuff or something that doesn't change, but you still managed to come back to that now that you've been doing work with organizations with young people yeah yeah no no i think i think uh policy change uh, is a very fundamental part of this as well uh but my my work uh uh because i'm part of so many organizations and i've also represented fiji uh at international platforms like uh, the conference of party i realized and i was part of the oceans working group uh i realized that Plastic pollution is 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 an issue that's usually absent in these sort of discussions. Um, so this is where policy comes in, and it's very important because uh, the land sources of plastic pollution have for a long time been overlooked and are now the object of soft law only. And soft law meaning agreements which are not legally binding. Mm -hmm. So the regulation of plastic debris from land-based sources is a substantial gap within the international policy framework. 
um so when i when i when i because of my work in fiji and my experience i have when i am asked to represent uh the country or the region in these sort of uh platforms in ocean related platforms in plastic pollution related platforms uh i i put out two options uh i put out like options that are available to strengthen the current uh, international framework uh one of which one of which is to adopt a uh international treaty regulating plastic pollution from land based as well as sea based sources uh which is absent at the moment and then we also need to amend uh, existing in- international instruments and create a more coordinated and comprehensive legal framework which then can uh, trickle down to national level policy actions um then later on become the mechanisms for strategic action how do you become the representative of your country at the conference of party and and how how did how did it how did that happen i was the i was let me be specific i was the youth representative yeah no uh, like as part of the government like yeah. how does that um it's still it's so, still huge right oh it's so huge like when i was informed i because i was driving my car and i almost had an accident because i couldn't <laughs> believe it <laughs> i mean it's such a big thing and then being that young and then going uh to an international platform like this my goodness yeah it took i think it, it took almost a week for it to sink in you know uh but uh, a wonderful opportunity nonetheless did you apply or just people like they had hunted you it was based on recommendations and then uh based on the recommendations the government the ministry of economy carried out their uh like what whatever their processes in uh vetting and then they called for an interview they found out about the work that i was engaged in uh in fiji locally so you have to be engaged in uh grassroots level work or whatever work you know but some someone who's actively engaged in uh the area of environmental yeah science and policy and community work um and so they thought that i would uh, be the best <laughs> fit uh, to be the youth rep from this country <laughs> it was for which cup it was for cup 24 and the uh, uh cup 24 and co 14 which is the conference of youth 14th conference of youth oh so two years ago right? yeah two years ago where was it poland katowice oh oh okay so you go to the cup and then what do you need to do there Oh my goodness. Uh I wish I was uh I mean but I I I wish I was like uh had a like pre-cop training where I understood uh, the different articles and the processes and all because when I went went to cop like I felt completely lost so on my way there on the flight I was reading on all the regional policies in Fiji because I knew I knew that I was part of the oceans uh, uh team so I was reading up all the oceans related policy and the regional frameworks and uh the gaps and the national adaptation plans and just to like update myself on uh, on the on the policies uh that That's are relevant yeah but then when I went to cop it just felt like a completely different area it can be really intimidating especially someone from for someone like coming from the south pacific eh like a young person from growing up on the islands suddenly you're in between like this international uh uh conference uh between so many countries and like decisions which impact us on an individual level uh and then i was li- reading all this uh it's it's extremely jargon heavy like these arenas are extremely jargon heavy so then i would be told like such a session is happening 
uh, happening taking place on this date and this time you have to be there and i was like you know like so many like things would be bombarded towards me and i would like what's up star and then i had to like you know like quickly uh, google like what's up star meant uh, which means the subsidiary body for scientific and technological advice uh and then i had to like keep writing it on my note notebook like little notebook i had and by the by the like end, end of festival my notebook was full <laughs> so i had to like get another notebook but all in all i think it's a re it was a really uh uh how, how do i say this it was a really constructive uh trip like uh, it built my confidence because i met young people from all over the world who were extremely inspiring i met some young kids even from africa and the way they spoke you know like younger than me but they've accomplished so much in their own country and uh carried out big processes uh i met the uh i saw the that the minister for youth from malaysia is actually a young person i think he is the same age as us uh and he's the he's a minister in a country like you know malaysia so like all of this like getting to know meeting these sort of people like really was a boost uh confidence booster um and then uh, this also gave uh, impetus for me to come back to my country and you know like uh to do the work that I do now because uh it just uh went to show that nothing is impossible i think we limit ourselves uh in our own mind before we limit our own selves before anything else does so yeah it was a it was a very it's a space con- really conducive to growing if you're willing to um learn what were you supposed to do at the cop like uh, i mean so you attend all the sessions are you is are you there to learn and get inspired from all the young people or do you have a role no 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 that was that was not the purpose to get uh, get inspired that's the <laughs> that's the side the purpose the main goal of cop 24 was to adopt a package implementing the rules for the paris agreement which was which is called the Katowice rule book uh so my purpose there was to support the other government officials uh in terms of uh uh highlighting or highlighting uh points from the regional and the national what do you call legislations and the uh, adaptations pl- adaptations plan and you know like sort of I, w- i went there as a support person uh for the government uh but then at the same time i was also tasked to represent the country in all the youth spaces uh and youth sessions that were taking place and because of this i joined uh yango which is the which was the uh of official uh, youth constituency of the unfcc and then when i joined yango then i took part in a lot of sessions as well and uh represented the country in different panel sessions that they organized as i did uh, at uh, apcw uh i think uh, yeah i did i organized i was i was part of three panels uh, organized by yango at apcw where we first met oh really yeah i was uh, i was selected by uh, uh unfccc to attend apcw oh okay i i didn't know the that story oh okay oh i mean it's funny it's uh, i i'm i'm interviewing hita from Yongo? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ethan and I are good friends. Okay, yeah, so I I yeah, she'll be the next guest after you. Oh my god. Oh my goodness. These people are <laughs> I look up to them. <laughs> so I'm wondering if this is a good this this is a good choice for you to get me on board. 
<laughs> I don't think I'm at that their level at all. No, you are. You are. You are. <laughs> um, okay. Yeah. Okay. So you went to Poland. Basically, you you represent the youth voice and also yeah, like uh, Fiji <laughs> at the same time. So that's quite huge. And Cop and Koi where it happened at the same time. It uh, took place a week before Cop started. Okay. Okay, so you mentioned that you were one of the founding members of the Alliance for Future Generations also. So this happened after Precious Plastic. This happened uh, at the same time as Precious Plastic, not after. <laughs> like because, like, uh, difficult. <laughs> yeah, um, the reason is, it's not difficult. It's just that, uh, you know, I don't know, like it was like a time where young people just started, uh, you know, like we just started empowering ourselves with the uh, solutions. And uh, I wanted to be part of this, you know, like this part of this movement that makes a difference. And we did uh, this, 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 uh, the plastic campaign was led by young people from Alliance of Future Generations. And as a result of that, uh, policy, uh, we've, you know, like we've been instrumental in policy change in Fiji, as I mentioned before. So the Alliance of Future Generations, because Precious Plastic targets plastic pollution, uh, but the Alliance of Future Generations, was set up due to serious concerns on the marginalization of youth voices and youth representation within national, uh, regional, and international spaces. Um, we face, like, in even, like, I would say, uh, like, in certain, not at COP altogether, but in certain arenas at COP, uh, the challenge that we face was uh, the... What do you call that? Like uh, the tokenistic tokenism. So that even in in national, it's a very common in national and regional spaces as well. Because the traditional forms of discrimination against young people in Fiji and the Pacific open, often linked to age and gender. Young people's views are often often taken on board due to the country having signed some international treaty to this effect. Uh, however, the inclusion of these voices over, often remain as tokenistic. I think there's also a hesitancy for tradition and culture-based institutions uh, within Fiji to trust young people with leadership within traditional and cultural contexts uh, because of the underlying assumption that elders know better. So tokenism was definitely a large, large challenge uh, in this regard. And uh, our approach to this uh, issue was that we made sure after AHG was set up, that in all the work that we do, uh, the most important coherence lens we use uh, is the impact on the furthest behind. Mm -hmm. um, so meaning that no policy should be decided by any representative in Fiji on a national level, on a regional level even, or even an international level, uh, without the full and direct participation of members of the group affected by that policy. So what we do is we ensure that the most vulnerable and young people are not only consulted, but they are part of the development, implementation, and the monitoring process. Uh, I'll just give you an example. Like recently, we organized a human rights and climate change workshop as equal partners uh, with the Office of the United Nations High Commissioner for Human Rights in Fiji. In Fiji. And uh, we did this. We were part of the uh, development, uh, implementation, and also are part of the monitoring process uh, for this uh, uh, workshop. So we build and strengthen capacities of youth to lead their own activities and participate as uh, equitable partners with adults. Um, this is the work that we do AFG. 
um, we have managed to create visibility and respect for youth voices uh, by bringing them to the forefront together with that of women, uh, LGBTQI community, uh, and also those with disabilities and rural youth. Um, and I think, uh, oh, it's, it, like in terms of the work that we've carried out, my team and I have uh, consistently uh, undertaken various educational and awareness, awareness uh, social activities, such as uh, coastal mangrove planting. I think we've planted close to 50,000 mangroves to date around Fiji. Uh, we've also organized climate festivals uh, in partnership with the 350 Pacific and 350 Fiji. So we leverage on the networks to organize a national climate strike uh, and uh, also workshops and trainings and other series of public advocacy events. Yeah, so these are publicized and promoted and uh, this helps create visibility uh, the outcome for that is that in less than a year of its setup, IFG has more than uh, 400 members. Uh, this includes regional members and more than 2,000 effectively engaged young people around the country, passionately supporting every sustainable development activity we undertake. Wow. It's a regional Pacific initiative. It's, it's, a, it's a Fijian-led initiative, but we have set up a online platform with Pacific uh, leaders. Okay. So I have so many questions in my head, but when you were looking, because you, t- you were telling me you were looking at, uh, just exploring <laughs> the internet, and you were like, okay, it's when you realize actually young people have a big power. Is there something specific that made you realize this, or it's just many different resources? Um, it was specific. Uh, it was a plastic uh, solution developed by a kid, I think, in uh, Europe, if I remember correctly. And he created this device which would collect plastic waste from the oceans. So that was when I, that was the thing that uh, that made me realize that we have the potential within us to make a, a difference here in Fiji. Okay. And how did you... How how was the AFG? How did you how did you start that? Like did you just gather some friends and you were like, okay, let's do something. So this was the, led by my good friend uh, Langi Lavatana Langi Seru, and uh, he approached me and he approached one of my other friends and then he shared his uh, his uh, and he said that he wants in order to give this vision life, he wants us to be a part of it um, uh, and to take this forward. And he, he told us the opportunity and the impact that we would have as young people. So he came with a, he had a strategy in mind. And uh, because I got to know previous work, he led a few workshops that I was part of. Uh, I, believed in, uh, I believed in him and his vision. And so that's why uh, I decided to get on board with it. <laughs> So both La- Langi and uh, Davila and Komal and I, four of us, were the f- founding members for AFG. And now after I mean, after four years, it has become uh, the biggest uh, youth-led movement on sustainable development in Fiji. Wow. Yeah. No, I think it's a beautiful story. I mean, you, you started, you know, like four or five people and now it's the biggest movement. I, I'm wondering, like, how... 
did you ever had this ambition to be the largest youth-led movement? Or it just happened? It just happened because the thing is, if you... Ambition is never about uh, how big we are uh, for us. Ambition is the impact we make and how big the impact is. That's where our ambitions lie. And because we started uh, uh, addressing a grassroots level work and grassroots level community, our approach was sort of like bottom-up. We had a bottom-up approach. And this started creating uh, waves and started, uh, you know, making an impact uh, nationally uh, around the country. And, uh, yes. Sorry, what's your question again? <laughs> yes, even me. I'm not sure. <laughs> no, no, I'm, I'm just wondering, like, well, what's the secret? Uh, oh, yeah, the secret. The secret that I, I, I believe is having people who are sincerely passionate. You know, we, if you go on social media nowadays, like with any movement that goes on, around the world, for example, I just gave like Black, Black, Black Life Movements, I mean Black Life Matters, uh, the movement, it gained uh, worldwide attention. And then suddenly, you know, like everyone thinks that the way to uh, advocate for Black lives is by putting up uh, a Black a black uh, uh, post on their social media. And suddenly like they've made a huge difference. But they don't realize that it takes so many years of hard work and passion and, you know, like commitment towards this cause to be able to make uh, a difference. So we, we become being an activist is not an easy thing. You have to be sincerely committed to the cause and genuinely passionate about creating uh, a difference uh, in society uh, as a whole. And this is sort of the, like, like the legacy that we end up leaving behind. So it, you know, it all comes together. Uh, it's all connected in one way. So the secret to any movement, I think, becoming successful, I would say, not big, but successful, is sincere commitment. Do you think that's enough? Hmm. Um, we, I mean, it's enough to start. That's That's what I would say. We... AFG has, to this date, never, like Alliance Social Generations, we haven't received uh, any funding, but we still managed to become so big mm. and create such a large impact. And the reason for this is because we work in partnerships with different organizations. Uh, where, they're, where, where, where their objectives align with our strategic plan. Um, but uh, with Precious Plastic Fiji, uh, in order to make this into a reality, because we needed, needed to create and create machines, set up a hub, we, were, we, we had to access, uh, apply for funds to make it happen. So I think it's a very uh, s- subjective, I think, in different scenarios, uh, because... Uh, as a, as a, in a in a developing country like Fiji, we we I mean we get support from government. We can get support from government as well. But the thing is that we do need support to collectively create an impact. Yeah, so commitment and passion, but by engaging other people to the cause, by engaging four hundred 
you volunteers to the cause. Okay. And in the other podcast, what I found interesting is that one of the first things you said is that you said I'm an introvert. But that's really one of the, of the first things you said. Uh, so I'm, I'm wondering, like, how... How did I get out of my comfort zone? Mm, no, I, I, I mean, like, being an introvert means you take your energy by... And it's a, like speaking with and being with people takes energy, but I guess you need to speak to a lot of people if you have 400 volunteers, if you do all this beach cleanup, if you do like all of that. Oh, yeah, true. So, do you find a balance? Self care is very important, uh, and I'm glad that you brought that point up, uh, because uh, and we're sort of raising the awareness in regards to this as well, like self care amongst uh, activists. So we all have our uh, different, uh, what do you call, uh, activities that we engage in and do. In I would uh, take moments to myself and sort of like, uh, you know, like think and put everything, align everything uh, mentally by isolating myself for certain periods of time. And uh, I think it's very important that we develop uh, a regular sleep routine as well. Uh, and for healthy diet and all of these things, uh, while we carry out big, while we carry out work, engage with communities, um, yeah, uh, and exercise regularly. I think if your body if your body is healthy, then your mind is healthy. So that's the approach that I take. Do you do something specific to reflect? I meditate. Awkward <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh, talking about it because, <laughs> yeah. Why? Why is it awkward? I don't know. I just <laughs> because I'm an introvert. That's why. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So meditation, good sleep, sports, um, good, good, good food, healthy diet. Right. Yeah, but I think as it's an introvert, I would also say that uh, a mindful conversation, like you know, like we don't, we don't. Uh, I don't run away from all conversations. If a conversation is intriguing and mindful, then that sort of. Uh, creates energy you know like for example like right now i feel very comfortable talking to you so i don't feel like after this i wouldn't feel drained as much okay uh if yeah. that makes sense <laughs> <laughs> when did you finish your university i finished it in uh, 2019 okay so so you, you you were you were having the alliance precious plastic university you were you were yeah, yeah everything at once that's why uh uh i it took a long time for me to finish my studies as well because i was uh, so actively and heavily engaged in, with the the work that i was doing in fiji but because it was it was meaningful to me i didn't mind and that's this this work that i'm doing right now it and even before finishing my studies sort of uh aligned with my uh how do i say this my career goal what is your career goal um so i would say my career goal is to contribute to the equitable and uh, sustainable development of my country and its people um, through work that is focused and practical uh, and where my skills can be applied in the most productive way 
that uh, I think not only develops my own capabilities, but also enhances the opportunities and the goals of the people that I serve. And what else do you need to do to achieve that? Because I feel like you it's what you are doing already. Uh, what else do I need to do to achieve it? I don't know. Like maybe like I I would say that what else do I need to do? I would say I need to walk towards a point where I can have a bigger impact. Okay. So maybe maybe I don't know. I don't wanna I don't wanna I don't I don't I don't know if I should say it right now. But uh, I have a plan. <laughs> okay, that sounds uh, mysterious but interesting. <laughs> You'll be the head of state of Fiji soon. <laughs> it's, it's, it's what I understand from. <laughs> We have to dream big. You know, they say shoot for the stars, even if you or shoot for the moon, even even if you miss, you land among the stars. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I love this quote. So I I live <laughs> when you have a kid and when you are the head of state. <laughs> I was, no by, by then I will invite you to my own podcast. Oh. <laughs> so um so you had this life-changing story when you were 10 years old. I'm wondering what is a life-changing story of your 20s. Oh my goodness. <laughs> oh my goodness. There's so many. I don't know if I should, if I would pinpoint like one particular event. But yeah, uh, like even like the, the, visiting uh, this family yesterday, which, which gave me, like which may, you know, like brought, gave me an awareness of uh, like my own privilege. I think that's, these things like have an impact on your life on a like colossal scale um you know like i'm not disconnected from my own privilege and as a result of this uh this event like me going and meeting people working with them in rural communities helping them out uh it it impacts you on a on a on a, on a personal level because like when i come home i don't waste food i don't uh you know like waste water Uh, even when I'm walking in the public and I, like even if I'm walking in the city or town and then I hear a tap on somewhere, water leaking somewhere, I go and close it. Like even though, you know, like I don't have to do it, but I just do it because water is being wasted. So these things, uh, I think uh, gradually or like in, in like have an impact on you. Ah, oh, <laughs> funny moment in my 20s. I think it's more to do with love. Which I shall not get into. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> People want to know, right? <laughs> yes, I'm single. On which side is your okay, on the right side. <laughs> oh my god! I can't believe I'm tell like this is I'm saying all this stuff on your podcast, and then you'll bring Hita next. My goodness. <laughs> Yes, I, I will. I will. I will. I will. Send, <laughs> I will send a recording to her. 
<laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> Um, okay, so guys. Yeah, but this is yeah, interesting. <laughs> this is fun. So everyone, you can uh, open a precious plastic hub and you can uh, send some love messages to Raid. <laughs> yes. Oh, I mean, now, I mean, not in that sense, but yes. <laughs> <laughs> We need to spread more love and kindness in this world. Yes, and big smiles, big Fijian smiles. Yeah. Everyone. Yes. Uh, I invite all the listeners to Fiji as well. <laughs> oh, but I think we all want to go to Fiji, you know. I mean, in France at least. Oh yeah, this is the. I mean, you say Fiji, and everyone is you know have this I don't know paradisiac image in 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 your head. I mean, that is Fiji. <laughs> <laughs> um, so coming back on on our, on our topic before you all that. Uh, yeah, I feel like I've covered so much, like you know, like all the different organizations and what we do. <laughs> Did you ever doubt, like, uh, oh, I, I, I cannot, I'm doing too many stuff. I'm gonna, I'm, I'm gonna die, or I, I cannot, I, I, I'm not gonna be able to, 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 to make a difference because climate change, plastic is so big. Um, that's a really good question. With regards to doing a lot. Uh, I was doing that in the beginning, but then I uh, started, uh, what do you call, uh, managing my time wisely. And as a result, I was part of uh, volunteering for a lot of other organizations as well. But then I uh, sort of came out of that. And then I was focusing on the organizations that I could have the biggest impact uh, with. So that was Alliance with Generations and Precious Plastic. Uh, even with WWF, as I mentioned before, uh, I'm no longer actively volunteering, um, but uh, I do uh, support them uh, uh, whenever they need support. You asked uh, about the size of the problem, eh? So it can get overwhelming, but uh, I mean, uh, if the tide is to be definitely turned, then everyone has to play a, play a role uh, in this uh, work. Uh, it relates to the future of not just, uh, you know, like it, it relates to our own survival. It relates to the future of our, basically the future of the planet. Um, so we, we, we have to play a part uh, because uh, there's no silver bullet and no single activity in 10 like the clock. Um, and this is something that I said in my TED talk as well, that uh, the usual saying goes that it's never too late to start. Uh, but I say that it's never too early. I I didn't read the book, but there is one book called Designing Your Life, um, which is about how to see your life as a design thinking process. So you always prototype things. Actually, like uh, you know, if you do a job that you hate, it's okay. It's just an experiment, and you learn from that experiment, and you find you refine your job search, etc. And one sentence in this book is it's never too late and it's never too early that's great what's the book called designing your life designing your life nice thanks for sharing that yeah so, i think I, i i thought about because then you can use the two yeah <laughs> two parts and yeah wh what else do you do which is not related to climate change or plastic waste okay so <laughs> I am also a committee member of 350 Pacific, I mean 350 Fiji, which is the local note to the global 350.org movement. 
So we organized a climate festival in Fiji in relation to the global climate strikes that was led by Greta Thunberg. And we localized it in the sense of a festival because uh, 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 protest is not... Uh, we feel like uh, the way to have a bigger impact in the Pacific and its people is not through a protest, but through a festival where we bring we incorporate arts as the means to uh, advocate on the issue of uh, sea level rise and climate change and uh, the most recent thing that we did with the uh, 350 Fiji uh, was that uh, we set up a community fridge in uh, we set up Fiji's first community fridge uh, in Suva so uh, this was uh, our way of tackling food insecurity as a result of the coronavirus pandemic. And uh, the entire community is what truly powers the community fridge and its purpose. Uh, so what we do is uh, uh, we, if we, we, we have a lot of like this, this surge of uh, backyard gardening uh, in Fiji. So if people have a lot of vegetables and foods and crops that they've grown, they can uh, come and put it in the fridge for families that are desperately in need and families take what they need and leave what they don't. And that's been a big success uh, so far. And now we're planning to set up a uh, community fridge uh, in the western part of uh, the country as well. Wow, great. You get inspiration from other notes? Who, who did that? We actually got in, inspiration from uh, a community, community fridge uh, uh, group that's established in the US. It's called uh, Free Free 99 Fridge. So okay. that's why we got the inspiration for the community fridge. I think it's so cool because you, you know, you are part of all these international networks and you know you 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 have this bigger picture where you can see all all the cool stuff that has been happening in every country and you bring everything to Fiji yeah localize it and at the same time empower young people and it's 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 such a great uh, such a beautiful process actually and this is what you know like this is this is what continually inspires me as well so i don't have to seek inspiration outside of me uh because it comes from the work that i do and i think this is what it's one of the also, another key factor to success, I think, is when you are continually inspired by the work that you do yourself. I guess you are inspired by the work that you are doing, but also by when you're the impact, but also by all the. I you you were saying you, you the sentence that I I love this sentence too. Like you are the average of the five people that you spend the most time with, and I guess you are really you you inspired you you really admire also the all your co-founders and everything oh 100 percent. like i said like it's a team of like really dedicated people you know like sincerely dedicated i put sincere i'm putting a stressing on the sincerity part because you have to be genuinely committed to the cause and i feel like a lot of people who are like uh just give an example of even show me that you you uh, brought on as a guest earlier it's because of our own personal experience with the hammam that gives you know that strengthens her commitment to the cause so we we have all like the the people who have made up our communities we have all gone through things in our personal lives we are we have members who are come from villages 
who which are under the threat of sea level rise so you know like they are they they they, they are all committed because they all have have and are experiencing a direct sense uh, of uh, either climate change or some other social issue and so this is where our commitment stems from yeah you were affected yourself by the issue and you see an injustice and you want to fix it yes so yeah so we spoke about the fridge solidarity fridge what is another dream you have of something you want to bring and localize it in Fiji i have to think about it i may have an answer but i just can't think about it right now because i feel like there's too much pressure <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah. okay. i let you think um okay i think we are approaching the end so i will i have Two two questions that I always ask. <laughs> the, <laughs> the most deep questions. Oh my goodness! <laughs> I will I will rephrase them a bit. So we spoke about uh, you know the ten year old. We spoke about all the twenties life changing moments. So now let's you know jump flash forward in the future. Let's imagine you are eighty years old. Um, Eight. Eighty. Yes. Eight zero. Eight zero. Oh my God! Do I want to live that long? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if you you can be, you can be the longest head of state in power in Fiji. <laughs> uh, no, but like, how how do you want people? Like, you know, everyone you've met in your life. Like, how do you want people to to remember you for? Oh wow! Wow. Dude, that's really deep. Oh my goodness. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> um I don't know like my answer might change in future, but at the moment I think I would say that I have no desire or quest to do something special or spectacular so that I will be recognized or remembered for. I that's like that's not my like it sort of implies like I'm doing stuff to be remembered for but I don't know if that's if it's if that's the if that's a like for me it's a, it's wrong for me to perceive it as such but uh, what I do and I only hope that the lives of the people that I have touched in a positive way remember me for the individual acts they have experienced from knowing and from knowing me and uh, using not me but my walk as a source of inspiration uh, yeah does that make sense yeah 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 <laughs> um, no it's interesting uh No, because it, it, we, it, it makes us come back to when you speak about, you know, commitment and passion. I think really, really feel that you are really passionate about all the cause you are working for. But it, even even passionate is not strong enough, you know. I think you need to look in the dictionary to see what... Uh, now it feels you really... No, I think you're kind of guy, and you will not stop until the problem is solved. So yeah, no, I can't wait to see what is your plan. <laughs> I can't wait to see it as well. <laughs> and um, how would you describe yourself 
in three hashtags? <laughs> Myself. <laughs> oh my goodness. Okay, number one, Pacific Power. Number two, be the change. Number three, precious plastic Fiji. Because <laughs> I'm now, I'm I'm like slowly getting to be known in Fiji as the plastics guy. Oh. So might as well own it. <laughs> the right the plastic guy. <laughs> yeah, the plastic Fijian. <laughs> just a random question i just had but like when you know when you i don't know when you meet people in, in bangkok or in poland or anywhere and you say you are from fiji what is the first thing people say usually i think in international conferences they they are aware of fiji like cop because uh, fiji played a big uh, role at cop 23 uh, uh so in that sense they are aware of it And it's surprising to me, actually, because uh, like when I met Shomi for the first time and then I introduced myself to Shomi and she's like, oh, yeah, I know Fiji. I've been to Fiji. And I was shocked. <laughs> I, you know, like a lot of people, even Linka has been to Fiji. So people have been to Fiji. So, yeah. But I mean, in, in, in other places, like uh, when I went to India, for example, no one knows where Fiji is. So you have to tell them uh talk about New Zealand they don't even know where New Zealand is so then you have to talk about Australia and they're like ah Australia so then you describe where Fiji is located but then the same was in Poland like you know like countries that are really far away don't really uh, know where Fiji is on the map so okay let me let me rephrase the previous question to how do you want people to remember Fiji for or to know Fiji for as the country which saved the world Okay, I can I think we can understand a bit your plan. Okay, nice. Okay. Wow. No, you saved the Pacific, you saved the world. You know, so many countries in the Pacific, uh, their existence is threatened by sea level rise. Yeah. So if we all work together and prevent these countries and the history of the people from drowning, we save, basically save the world because it's an issue that affects all of us. Now in France climate change is like you know uh, I, I felt like in France not many people can relate to climate change because we are fortunate that France is not a country which is too much exposed to the no, environmental impacts yes terrible effects of climate change and and like Fiji and Pacific Islands uh, like what is maybe that's why you are so I mean, probably that's why you are so. <laughs> no, that's why you are so committed to this cause, right? Because uh, you've been relating to this your whole life. It's for you. It's unnatural not to think about it. I, I yes, think. yes. You are, yeah. So for me, I was always interested in more social issues when it comes to poverty, quality education. But for some reason, I never really relate to environmental and climate issues but the first time I got a shock uh, was in Hong Kong and it started with a plastic issue I first realized what, like how bad it was and you know, no, in Hong Kong there are three landfills which are going to be full like soon uh, yeah just to say my climate awareness like was born a few years ago and now I'm trying to catch up uh, with everything and I think The plastic issue is something that starts to 
be more mainstream, which is good. Yeah. Yeah, you you brought up a really important point. Uh, I mean, I understand like if a person uh, faces a uh, like poverty, if their day is spent on you know like getting food or putting food on the table for their family, <coughs> on uh, uh, you know people who are living below the poverty line, they are not bothered about climate change, a bigger issue like climate change. because their immediate needs supersede that of uh something that will you know like uh something like climate change but uh at the same time uh this 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 sort of uh um social and environmental injustices they uh they overlap and then they uh exacerb- they, they are exacerbated by different issues for example covid-19 and uh so that's why i believe that there's no climate justice uh without racial justice without economic justice uh so these all of these uh these uh, things they intersect and uh, disproportionately affect uh, certain communities is that something you always knew um i don't no i would say no not something that i w- always knew yeah something you realized after realized yeah your experiences yeah i i asked you a question earlier i forgot what it was i just remember that you you needed to think about it uh what was it again i don't want to remember <laughs> cuz i don't think i can answer it oh my god what was the question it's okay <laughs> yeah <laughs> Okay. Um well, I, no, they they can wait 10 years when you come back for the second <laughs> episode. <laughs> cool. Just to end, where can people contact you if they want to reach out to you? Is there any way people can support you? Can people contact you where? Okay. Uh so you can follow us on social media. uh face we're on facebook uh linkedin and instagram uh you can follow us at alliance for future generations fiji and precious plastic fiji and also 350 fiji uh you can email us for collaborations and join our team via the link on our facebook page and if you want to donate to our cause and support us uh we have the link on our website which is currently being set up Cool. I'll put all the links in the episode note. I'll put your TED talk, the other podcast. <laughs> yeah, oh my goodness! Right, is is single, so and <laughs> everyone to Fiji. Oh my god! Cool. No, thank you so much, right? It was great conversation. No, um, thank you, man. I think you're a great host. I felt really comfortable. Yeah, and thank you for doing this. Like I mentioned to you before, like before you started uh, recording, that you are documenting a part of history. So this is really beautiful. And thank you. I feel honored to be invited as, as a guest to the Lifeline podcast. Thank you so much for listening to the amazing story of Raid. Do reach out to him if you enjoyed this episode or if you even plan to go to Fiji someday. Of course, please do share this episode with your friends. That's the best way to support Lifeline podcast. See you next time.